Listeners, believe it or not, this is Richard from Chewing the Scenery Horror Movie Podcast in an airport uh, waiting for a delayed flight. And an interview I had hoped to get at Horror Hound Indianapolis. Um, timing wasn't right. I didn't, I didn't find uh, this interview uh, to kind of line up with the way things were going with the chaos involved. But I look across while I'm fiddling with my phone and wondering what it's going to do in Denver. And I see Ed Edmonds from Distortions Unlimited. Ed, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks. So we both just finished up, um, probably packed up really quick and rushed here to just <laughs> sit down and wait. Yeah, yeah I, we were, man, five o'clock hit and we were out the door. We got everything popped, uh, wrapped up and, and uh, got a cab right away, rushed over here. And then it's just been hurry up and wait. Yep, and and with that weather delay, I thought, well, it doesn't hurt to ask. I, I had asked last year, could we could we do this? And it was it's chaos when you're when we're both vendors. Yeah, it's very hard because we just get inundated, and, um, uh, and I, which is good. I mean, I enjoy it; it makes the day go fast. But uh, it's it's pretty hard hitting the whole day. Yeah, and. This convention is nothing but diehard horror fans, and, and they're kids, too. Yes. There's a lot of families walking through. Yes. You know, actually, a really fun bunch. I mean, I, I guess I don't know what it's like in other industries, but it's hard to imagine people having so much fun that are really, you know, giving and, I don't know, Just it's just a fun group, whether it's the vendors or the customers coming through. Oh, yeah. The customers and the vendors, probably in terms of fandom, aren't that different. No, I think a lot of vendors were fans. I think, because uh, if you were choosing something smart, you probably wouldn't get into the business because it's tough. It's There's a lot of competition and a lot of hard work. So, yeah, I think probably most of the vendors were, were fans originally. Right, and just decided, well... Can I take the thing I love and try to monetize it? Yes. <laughs> that, and as you know, that's not easy. Um, no. Before we go much further, um, let our listeners know, what is D- Distortions Unlimited? Who's Ed Edmonds? And what's what happened? How'd you do this? Where'd you start? I mean... Well, I just... Uh, I grew up in the, the 60s, pretty much, as far as uh, uh, the world of monsters and so forth. And... I loved monsters. I loved makeup. I was a little different because I actually wanted to be a monster when I was a kid. I think other kids thought monsters were cool, but I actually wanted to be a monster. So uh, I got into high school. I was still doing makeup and started doing mass. Um, and but I it was always just a hobby. You know, I, I even got offered a scholarship by. Uh, my dentist had helped me make a face cast so I could do appliances. 
got off. His brother came over one night. He said, hey, my brother's here. Come on, show him some of your stuff. So I did. Turns out he's head of the art department, looks at the stuff, offers me a scholarship. And me being an idiot, I said, no, <laughs> I can't make a living. I can't imagine. Because in my mind, it was machines and, you know, huge facilities. I'm just like, I, yeah, you know, whatever. So the business found me. And, and, and it, so I got into it anyway. But I, of course, knew nothing. And so it just evolved. And we've made everything from cut off fingers to monster mass that was kind of the beginning was monster mass and uh to giant queens from uh, the queen from aliens we got the molds uh, for, from the movie and um dinosaurs and animatronics of all kinds so it's we actually have our fingers in pretty much everything except for the candy end of halloween so we will do anything for anybody and um we ended up doing a tv show for several years uh, called making monsters which was a big hit and um, uh have a lot of celebrity clients it's just it, I, it sounds a little corny but it's been a wonderful life making <laughs> monsters and uh, and i was just a goofy kid growing up in long grove illinois and it's just funny how we just stuck with it and and my wife came on board uh in around 83 and she had much more sophisticated uh intelligent designs for her life but she loved the monsters and jumped right on board and uh so we've been doing this now for 40 years wow 40 years living the dream as they say well it's more like leaving the scream because it's hard <laughs> and scary <laughs> and as far as the uh, animatronics go you've had great success with um some of the haunted attraction stuff uh you want to talk a little about like what uh, what that looks like in in terms of uh, you you're not just um, sculpting and making molds then you've got you've got um, mechanical stuff you got welding motors everything. oh yeah the the company went through a few changes over the years and we had to make those changes because uh, China got into making mass and started at first it wasn't so good but they got good at it and so you know you're trying to compete against a mask coming in the states that costs less than the latex you're putting in it, and right. beautiful stuff. I mean, I, 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 I don't want to pick on I me. Mean, you know, I mean, it's hurt the American mask industry, but you know that's the way it is. Things change, so we kept shifting the company. Is that going to bug you? Is that no? It'll okay. be fine. So we kept going, doing whatever we had to to survive as we saw our mask sales. Uh, uh, declining we just started getting into props and things um, but what the, the uh, super turning point for distortions was we had a little it wasn't really a haunted house we called it the dark museum where we had a bunch of stuff set up and it was all run kind of by a control board we had this electrician do I don't want to make it sound bigger than it was it was just a bunch of our junk sitting around it would go off and and so forth and we thought well we need a grand finale and so I guess I forget who came up with the idea. I know Brainstorm Studios out of Denver did the drawings, but we came up with the idea of doing an electric chair, except really violent and crazy. Something that could fool you. No, it's not that good. <laughs> no. It's not that good. Now, later versions got closer. Um, uh, but anyway, so we, we did this thing, and people liked it, but I... From some film footage I just watched recently, I didn't realize what had happened, what we'd just done. 
And so, because I was just kind of feeling, oh, here's an electric chair. And I didn't even hardly pay attention. This is film footage from 1996, I guess. Mm-hmm. And so, we take it to the show. And um, I thought, this was the most expensive thing that had ever been in our industry. It was $3,800. And it was this wood chair with a rubber guy on it. And we had a one-horsepower motor and a pulley. And it would just thrash him like crazy. And he would scream... And it was, believe it or not, it was a cassette player with a looping message tape. Uh-huh. Oh, it's just so terrible. But that's all we had back then. And then it would smoke and scream and a strobe light would go off. And he really thrashed. So we took this to the show. I'm thinking, eh, you know, it's really expensive. We liked it, but it's like, we'll sell six, you know, if we're doing good. Right. The industry, which, again, like we were just talking about with, with uh, a lot of these vendors in the, at MassFest... A lot of them are, are fans and just basically adult kids, you know, they still mm-hmm. have that Peter Pan spirit. So I think they sold because they just wanted them. And so we ended up selling that first year. We sold over 200 of these electric chairs, which is kind of unbelievable. I mean, it was, it was a super hit at the show. People would line up and, and they were shocked. You know, they knew it was going to do something because there's a big bunch of hoopla uh, before it fired, but they would actually it would it startled them haunters. It's what's this? Jeez, right? <laughs> so it turns out, and I shouldn't be the one saying this, but there's nobody else to say it. But it actually changed the whole industry. That one prop changed the haunted house industry from what had been black plastic and charity driven haunts to high budget big haunts of today. Right. And so, it, you know, it, and it wasn't like we're smart. It just, we accidentally struck a nerve. I think it was time. The world was ready, and, and it just happened to be that product that triggered it. And so, and just as a side note, we, it was so violent that we lost, I think it was around 100 of the bodies through the head at the audience. Right. <laughs> it shakes so bad. And we had to replace... A hundred bodies at our expense and shipping that that first year, but we we figured that out how to make them stronger. But uh, yeah, so then then everything changed. The company to- totally changed, and we got into animatronics, and now we kind of do everything. Yeah, and and of course now people will walk into Home Depot and they can buy all kinds of uh, grave popper kind of things, oh, mercy, and, and, yeah. and uh, con- convulsing werewolves and yes. inflatables and. There was a time when uh, all you had were the Beastel brand cutouts and the blow-molded lanterns, yes. the jack-o'-lantern-looking uh, blow-molds. Yes. And this stuff was it was enough for us as kids. We, we were excited. We didn't know any better. Yeah. We, that's the thing. This, the, the kids growing up now have no idea what an amazing world it is. And it's not just Halloween. I mean, just everything. I mean, it's like movies. When... when when we were growing up, movies were like Robinson Crusoe on Mars. I don't know what it probably had a five hundred thousand dollar budget or something. It's awful, but it was great because that's all we had. We didn't know better. Now I will say this, things like Planet of the Apes showed up too. Oh sure, and I was like, oh man, I my brother and I would many times if a movie was good, we would sit through it twice. We would just at the end credits had come in. We ain't leaving. <laughs> right, if, if they didn't kick you out. Well, I don't know how we got around that, but I guess. We were probably 
a very small minority that would actually sit and watch a movie twice. I, I don't know. I tried. My parents took us to Mary Poppins, and it was so fantastic that it, it was a school night, and I wanted to stay and sit again. Well, my parents were, were, were going to do that. And so I threw a hissy fit, and I'm like, oh, just till the fireworks. And they're like, that's at the end of the movie. We're going home. And I was so upset. But, uh, and again, it's the wonderful life I was talking about. We now know Dick Van Dyke, and we set up. He loves Halloween. He's done Halloween stuff since, I guess, the early 60s. Uh, and he, he, it was before they even made stuff. So he made his own Frankenstein the first year and stuff. And, and he's done this all these years. And so it's funny that this goofy kid that loved this stuff, and that wasn't monsters. But it was still pretty cool, you know, with the gal floating around in an umbrella and all the stuff, sure. uh, magical stuff they did. But, you know, and here... We're going over to his house, helping out. We were there last Halloween, helping him set up. And super nice guy, by the way. I don't oh, know if you've yeah. heard about Dick Van Dyke, but he's like, he's like Robert Petrie. He's basically Robert Petrie, except his jokes are a little dirtier. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, this is what I've heard 100 uh, percent across the board is that uh, he was at a convention. I, I believe it was Phoenix Comic Con, uh, and my same friend and I were working a booth together and. Uh, there were a lot of uh, young women in cosplay who were who were dressed. Oh, yeah, in I Mary- saw that. Yeah. I saw them getting up next to him, and uh, yeah, it was uh, it was amazing to see. And they've all said he was a, a terrific guy. Yeah. He was he was uh, um, very cordial and, and hilarious and, yes. and kind. Yeah, you know, I watched some of the signing. I think his wife maybe filmed it or something. And he, because of the incredible lines, he had to keep it moving. But he was he so they must have told him you can't start talking to these people. But he would address them the best he could and be really friendly. And it was like, boom, 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 you know, moving him through fast. But is he was just you know delightful to watch even under those restraints of pushing him through. And and you've been to plenty of these conventions and you've seen when a line is hundreds of people long, yes. they have to move them through. Yes. And it's and the celebrities would love a lot of times to just have those conversations. But oh, yeah. But you know, they're they're gonna hear a lot of the similar stories over and over and each one takes five uh, minutes times you know We we went to see a movie called uh, oh shoot I can't remember but it's on Alice Cooper's uh, um, lifelong manager and Shep and, and and so he he was talking about how people would come in and they would say just that oh you know I snuck out to see this concert and 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 and, and Shep goes if we listen to all the stories it would never end because you know there's millions of those stories and so sure. yeah you you do have to sadly kind of okay we got to keep going and uh, and and push them through but. At least everybody has a chance to, to meet them and get a picture. Oh, yeah. And photo ops, if they're doing the, the photo ops where they have everything curtained off. Uh, I was told the first time I went to do one, because uh, we had gotten a couple of them comped to us. Uh, my friend told me, say what you're going to say as you're walking up. Shake their hand or whatever yes. and finish saying it as you turn to yes. smile and get your picture taken. Because yes. you're gone immediately. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's a sad thing, but it has to be. And um, uh, because it, that, that's the only way you can handle the numbers. Oh, yeah. It, the, the sheer number of people at conventions and the sheer number of conventions out there is, yes. is astounding now. Yes. There's a con for everything yes. now. And uh, 
in the show we were at, I saw that Jordu was set up next to you. Yes. And uh, so he's he's kind of the uh, the newer generation. Did you have a lot of people who um, who were just walking up to both of you, trying trying to carry conversations with both of you? Oh, at once? sure. You know, uh, I would say Jordu's more the medium generation because there is some kids. I shouldn't call them kids. They're young adults. It's okay. But when you're 60, they're kids. <laughs> they're young adults that are just unbelievable. They're just kicking butt. In fact, I was saying, I was looking at some of the stuff, and I'd said it several times. I said, you know, if you were around when I was starting the company, I'd be sweeping floors because I, I yeah. couldn't have survived you. Let them do the, <laughs> let so them do the heavy lifting. <laughs> yeah, they're so good. And, and, uh, and some of the stuff that we were doing in the 70s was pretty crude and I was trying to bring movie quality uh, to to the mask world but still pretty darn crude compared to what people are popping out nowadays what do you feel was the biggest innovation in materials um, the, the first big game changer I should say in materials for what you were doing well you know it was there the materials were there but the knowledge wasn't and so for me, this is going to sound so simple. The big thing that, that helped me was finding out how to make a paint that would stick to the mass and not crack off. Oh, yeah. Because they all cracked off. I, 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 I don't know what the number really was, but it seems like I tried a hundred different things. And you think, well, you get paint and you try it and find one that works. There was no paint that didn't crack off. And so... Um, and nobody would help me you know there was it was a black box that was very quiet back then nobody would talk there was no internet there were no books the only information i had was richard corson's uh stage makeup book and um and so back then i just had to try well okay here's how you make a rubber nose and here's how you paint it maybe i can do this and so finding out how to just paint the mask so it didn't uh, crack off was a huge thing and now it's nothing <laughs> but <laughs> but in the only way I got that information it was kind of a sneaky trick but we were selling masks to the party palace in Greeley and nobody give me any answers but uh, Helen Foss called up and said well I've got one of your masks here and the paint's cracking off and what do I do to fix it and they said oh that's easy just mix uh, uh, mass making latex with uh, house paint and paint it right on it won't crack <laughs> you know and I and she told me this I'm like it's so obvious it's so easy but it when you don't know you don't know and so that was in the early days that was a big deal and it was so nothing but but uh, boy nowadays you can get online well we're doing monster lab which shows you everything you know very very simply and easily and so the information's out there Stan Winston does a whole series of yeah. uh, their school videotapes you can buy and things oh my gosh you can just do anything now and the stuff smooth on has available oh. that you can just pick up in the store you, you call them up say here's what I'm trying to do here's what you need right here oh absolutely yeah and generally Reynolds is great for taking the time to show you what to do oh yeah yeah a lot of cities have a Reynolds and uh and they carry all the smooth on stuff yeah we love we love all of the the products they have and 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 the the help to know what to use Reynolds is a really uh extremely helpful company yeah, and you look at, um, again, back to some of the young mask makers at these shows. I talked to one guy who said this was, uh, uh, it was important to him uh, 
to not do something he was unhappy doing. He wanted to be a mask maker, so he pursued it and and had his table there. I think this is the first year he's done Mask Fest, which is part of Horror Hound, for listeners who don't know. And um, yeah, it was a, a guy who said I was, you know, welding, and I really wanted to be mask making, so I decided to start doing it. Oh, that's great. I don't know if I know that person, but yeah, there's many stories like that. Yeah. And, um, you know, the industry is very welcoming. Uh, so, so if you've got the passion, man, you can do it. And it, it does seem like there's enough work to go around because there are mask collectors, it seems, who... It's, and is it fair to say it's, a, it's on a boutique level? Because some of those are, yes. you know, three to $600 oh, yeah. easily. There are people that are just working out of their garage or, or basement making... Uh, making masks and doing uh, you know, just gorgeous stuff uh you don't have to have a huge facility uh to make uh make products like that yeah and uh in fact it could be done on a kitchen table yes in fact that's where andromeda was done our first mask it was done on a kitchen table in a one-bedroom apartment wow yeah so yeah talk about humble beginnings <laughs> it doesn't get much <laughs> humbler than that does it all oh, bad one yes one bedroom apartments yes, and kitchen yes. tables i think it was a styrofoam head form on a paper plate in in the kitchen let's it see just, if we can do this yes and and amazingly it worked and when you looked at those ads, like I'm sure you had uh, between comic books and Famous Monsters magazine, yes. those Don Post ads, the Top yes. Stone ads. Uh, None of that. It was just Don Post. Yeah. No comic books and stuff. I, What happened to me, I was in third grade, and, um, and I flunked third grade, which is hard to believe. <laughs> I mean, how do you flunk third grade? What did you do? Grade? I, you would have to really be ridiculous. I think what I did was... I just didn't care. So I would just, like if you had an assignment, I would do it so quick so that I could put my pencil down and daydream about things. And it wasn't all, you know, sometimes it was floating or or go-karts or whatever it was. But anyway, so I'm in third grade. This is the first time. And it's probably partially responsible (laughs) for me flunking third grade, me and Jethro Bodine. But anyway... (laughs) This kid brings in a famous monsters magazine, and it's got on the cover Ray Harryhausen's 20 million light years to Earth or something like this, and it's just beautiful. And on the back is Don Post's calendar mass. Oh, wow. And I saw that, and I, I, I will guarantee you that my life changed forever. And it, it didn't even matter what was on the inside. It was the cover and the back. And I was a monster kid from then on. So flunk third grade, dreaming about monsters and go-karts or whatever. And then, um, and then started making things and, and uh, was terrible at it. But, you know, I just kept at it. And you can pinpoint the moment it happened. The, the, oh, yeah, the second. I, I know that was it. I, you know, I'm sure a lot of people slowly evolve into it, and this movie and that movie and so forth, or the, you know, this thing they sculpted in art class, and it all nudged them along. Nuh-uh. It was, it was lights on. Right. And I, and I would say, for me, I don't know if I can pinpoint the exact moment it happened but i know that between king kong and planet of the apes um both of which were on television when i was a fairly small kid uh giant gorillas or talking gorillas i was i was ready for it oh yeah and and of course 
Um, my earliest um, memories of a happy place for all that kind of stuff were the Universal monster movies. Um, yes. Growing up in Chicago, we had Creature Features. Yes. Was was uh, the local um, uh, show for the monster movies? Then we had Sven Gulli, the original Sven Gulli. I was going to say, was it Sven Gulli? Yeah. Yeah, I, we had two different shows. Yeah. Yes, I remember those, and they were so good. At, you know, it was so low budget cornball. But uh, my friend Bob Taylor and I would stay up and watch those creature features, and and actually the dumb stick stuff he do, did was so funny. It, we were just rolling for. I remember one time, he was like complaining about you know everything's going up, prices are going up, and cost of this and cost of that and so forth, and uh, and and he says just I just want to see one thing that's not going up, and his little sidekick I don't even remember what it was goes here take a look at our ratings. <laughs> we were on the floor, you know. It just it's just stupid stuff like that, and then you know, and then these great. Not so great, but great when we were kids. You know, old movies were, oh, sure. were just... Now, Frankenstein was great, but let me tell you, some of those movies weren't great. They were pretty rough. So, yeah, some of them weren't. <laughs> right. Plan 9 from Outer Space. That was not so great. Oh, <laughs> funny you should mention that. Uh, my, okay. my, co- my No, my co-hosts and I... Um, well, what, the, the voice of dissent is Will, who's on our show. Um, he pretty much doesn't like Plan 9, but he, I think he really digs the aesthetics of it. We actually have made a Plan 9 from Outer Space coloring book, which is going to debut October oh 1st. Oh, my goodness. I'll send you one. I uh, would love that. We'll be bringing it to the Oddities and Curiosities show in Denver on the, I think right. it's the 5th, uh, whatever the Saturday is at the beginning of, of uh, October. Wow. But, uh, yeah, and, you know, it was that was very capably lit and filmed, but so ridiculously oh, poorly written. Yeah, but here's the thing. It's one of those films that's so bad, it's good. Yes. It's so painful and so ridiculous. It becomes a comedy, and it has a cult following. Oh, so yeah. I shouldn't really pick on it, except it was really bad. I mean, it was really <laughs> Or like, it's like uh, one take, probably they didn't care. I don't know what was going on in the set, but, but you know, those kind of films, there's quite a number of those and yet they, they still have a place in the world of monsters. Oh, for sure. And if, if you look at, um, again, back to Don Post, I believe it was Don Post Studios that did the Tor mask, the Tor Johnson mask. Oh yeah. And, that was uh, great. and that really, um, I guess that was a really good seller for them. It, it was one of the biggest ever. Now, they, they, it got beaten by uh, many things. Obviously, Star Wars, I think, uh, was huge. And, um, oh, what was it? Uh, Freddy Krueger was gigantic for them. Sure. E.T. for a very short period of time, like three months, was unbelievable. And then Morris couldn't sell them for $2. Now they're <laughs> super valuable again. Right. You know, man, if I had known that was coming... I, 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 I could have bought a, a truckload of them for $2 and sure. just held on to them till around now and made a fortune. But you don't know that. You yeah. Know, you don't know what's going on. There's no crystal ball to predict that no, stuff. No. So then I, I guess that would be, um, it'd be a good question to ask. Um, as far as, you know, looking at the future, is there any way to guess what you should do next and uh and i'll have another question about licensing but uh, you know is it is it worth it to license or is every is everything possibly too short-lived no it's uh, many things are not short-lived now 
Uh, E.T. was very short-lived. But when it comes to Star Wars, Alien, Predator, Michael Myers, my gosh, these things, they are powerhouses. And uh, so companies, uh, probably the biggest right now that's doing licensing is Trick or Treat Studios. Mm -hmm. And they are just knocking it out of the park. These guys, they are buying, and they're buying some obscure stuff, but it has a niche following that now can be reached because of the internet. And so you can reach all these fans all over the world, and they're doing great. I mean, they're just really, really doing well. Yeah, so if you, for example, um, our listeners will probably be familiar with movies like This Island Earth, The the Metaluna, or um, uh, you'd mentioned before The Saucerman, uh, Invasion of the Saucerman. Uh, These masks, a lot of people who, they know the images, uh, they love the pictures and and everything surrounding it, but a lot of them haven't seen the movies. A lot of Uh. people who really dig that stuff haven't seen the movies, and the movies weren't great. No. The, the Metal Luna wore slacks. Let's be yeah. clear. <laughs> <laughs> the, those movies, though, you know, they're to me they still hold up today, even though from a technical standpoint and blah blah blah, whatever. But they are so iconic. The Metal sure. Luna Mutant, the Invasion of the Saucerman. I can't think of many things that could stand up you know in recent history aliens certainly stands up sure predator pretty well but so many of the monsters today they don't have whatever it is those things have i they are magic and um maybe it's because it's it's in my brain and it's burned in there i don't think so because there's still very very strong to this day that imagery of some of those those uh, early creatures from the, the 60s especially definitely and uh, and I would say um, as far as the licensing thing goes uh, is it cost prohibitive to try to get those um, let's say universal monsters or any of the uh, the famous slashers does it get to be kind of cost pro- prohibitive to uh, license that and produce oh, your give that a second Does it get cost prohibitive to uh, to license these things and and uh, you know to be able to still make money off of something like a Michael Myers or a Jason Voorhees mask? Uh, are your profit margins too slim to make sense doing it, uh, even if it's a status thing to say yes, we've got an excellent Jason or Michael mask? I it, it is very prohibitive. Now we did um, the Michael Keaton Batman in '89 and and. It was gigantic, and it, the funny thing is, it was like the stars aligned or something because we just we were trying to work through uh, the China thing I mentioned earlier, where they were, you know the great mass coming in. So we we built a conveyor belt and and multiple hundred foot tables and pumps for for filling the molds and. And this conveyor could move those masks through like crazy. And so we had people at stations like the old Ford car sort of thing. Sure. Well, we were able to pump out um, Batman uh, one every three and a half seconds. And I know it's true because I've got it on video. We were banging those <laughs> things great. out. And we, in I think it was 14 weeks, produced... Um, uh, over 100,000 pieces of different... You know, we did the 
lots of different parts like the hands and the feet and the belts. The belt, yeah. And so, but uh, most of them were cows and, and incredible numbers. But that license back in 89 was $5,000. Mm. And it was everything. All price ranges, everything. Um, so shortly after that, when that hit, and so many pieces did, then there was Beavis and Butthead. We did those. And we, and we had the machine cranked for those. And we, But, but the, the studio started to realize... Uh, that they could make more off licensing. Of course, Star Wars found this out sure. early on, but but uh, they could make more money off of licensing than the movie itself. And so now, you start talking hundred thousand dollar guarantees, and you know, uh, I don't know what their percentages are. Probably ten to fifteen percent of uh, sales, and and it is prohibitive. However, if you hit a good license. Like Michael Myers, man, you can just sell tens of thousands of, of mass. And uh, so it, it is, if you've got deep pockets and you've, you, you pick wisely, there's a lot of money to be made in licensed mass. Oh, sure. It's just a matter of uh, that, that, that barrier to entry on the whole thing. Yes, so it's got to be, you got to be a big boy. Now, I don't like that. I like the idea that whoever can do the best mask or whatever like we went up uh we did an et and sent it to um the studio i forget what studio made it but at by the time we sent an et to show them what we could do don post was already at their offices sculpting and trying to get it approved quickly and so we didn't have a chance but um you know i love don post this isn't a slam but ret was better (laughs) right (laughs) And, and uh, but they got the uh, the license for many reasons. I think they were much bigger at the time, much better known and things. But uh, but uh, yeah, it's it it's it's a part of the business I'm no longer interested in. Right. And I'm I'm just impressed as I can be with guys like. Uh, trick-or-treat studios that are willing to deal with all the contracts and and the the you know the real risks of you know signing a you know these huge guarantees now they're doing some obscure stuff too that i'm sure they're just you know it's not very expensive but boy some of that's big boy stuff and i just don't want to i'd rather do my own stuff yeah and and so you know we did it and and we actually um did a whole bunch of licensed stuff Back in the day, um, there was a guy named Al Taylor who had written a book, and through writing the book, he got to know all these people like John Chambers and uh, Paul Blaisdell, or at least his his wife, and, and you know, and interviewed Stan Winston, everybody. And so he was like, "Hey, I got access to all these guys because of the book. You want to do these licensed characters?" And so I think it was '83. We just did outer limits and all sorts of stuff and um it didn't last long but but we did a bunch of licensing then of course it was batman and things and uh morris ended up actually getting licensed for batman and beavis and budhead and things but i'm it's just it it became tainted once you know the mega companies got in there and were able to pay these huge guarantees and it was like uh uh-uh, we're just 
too big a risk. I'm not right. really, I'm not willing to risk a hundred thousand dollars on a movie. They won't even let you look at the thing. Oh no! <laughs> and say yeah, but it's us, you know. It's like nah, I I'm not that big a player, so uh, we kind of stay away from licensed things and um, and uh, try to do our own custom stuff. And that sounds like that could be. Um even if it's keeping that that world a little smaller for you, it's maybe a happier, uh, less stressful place. It is, and um, personally, um, I I have nothing against licensed stuff. I think it's great. I've bought it. I love it. But um, it's, I think it. I mean, there's people that all they collect is Michael Myers masks, and they all kind of look very close to the same. Sure. And uh, in fact, Jordu started a a Facebook page where you can't post anything like Michael Myers or Freddy Krueger or Jason and it's got big red lines with the slash and it's all has to be you know creative stuff and not that I don't have anything against the, those things I think they need to exist and I think there's some some really it's a good thing they're available but I also like the idea of the the it's kind of like the singer songwriter has died you know sure <laughs> it's like they don't they don't they don't go to bars try to find talent anymore they just pick pick four bums and and do a two year contract have professionals write their music and make a star I, like the monkeys I mean and sure. they can do that Hollywood can do this and that's what they want now and I think it's sort of works but I don't know I I, I don't think this is good I think it's better to just let people make what they love. And then, you know, find a way for them to sell it to the world. And uh, eh, anyway, I'm getting off into some bunny trails here. But, well, but sure. you know, the world but of monsters is very diverse. Now, sometimes when, I don't know if you meet people out in the wild who don't know what you do or uh, people who've maybe seen part of an episode of the show and recognize you. But um, I think there's a uh, misconception with... Uh, what could we call them the normies in the world who uh who who don't we call them the straights the straights yes okay so if we're freaking out the squares <laughs> uh, well i guess my question is um do you take any joy in terrifying people oh i do do you and the sad thing is i i i even enjoy scaring children now if it goes too far <laughs> and their parents are there giving me dirty looks but i i enjoy that and um most people enjoy being scared. It's a funny thing. Now, sure. Some get a little hacked off. But um, I, when we did Brutal Planet, that was really an experience for us. It was a haunted house we did in Denver. And, um, you know, of course, we could bring our arsenal of things down. But our goal was to make something really different, really uh, strange. And, um, and it was so peculiar to have people come and pay you money to scare them yeah. and if you scared them really good they loved it and they loved you for doing it and um and the, the, this is just an example of that there's a there's a group called adventures unknown or some or destination unknown i believe it is and it's older people retired people and they and every month one of the people in the group gets everybody on a bus and they pick nobody knows where it's going they're going they pick a place to go well one of these uh, elderly people thought it would be fun to take them all to Brutal Planet. Oh, lovely. <laughs> so these, all these, these gray hairs, which I am now one of them, um, uh, they, they get off the bus 
and this what what the heck and and so they, they I'm like Marcia and I right oh, come on in come on in well the they walk in the arena and this is not like a normal haunted house this was weird and so they walk in and there's people bludgeoning themselves it's all fake but you know like cutting themselves with bottles and 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 a little girl um, uh, on stage I think she was three or four saying that little we showed a black and white film of this girl that had killed some kid and, and then she gets on and says that little boy wouldn't share his toys with me so I killed him but anyway it was at rock volume and we had music and dancers and it was bizarre and they took one step in and froze I think they were ready to lynch the guy <laughs> the guy that did it and we we're like come on in come on in and so they went through that and they came out the other side and they were shaking our hands and they were so excited. They're like, this is the greatest destination unknown we've ever been to. This was so great. We so then the guy was a hero. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, it's there is um, there's a whole world. And there's a, I think there's a world of people that have an experience that, that would enjoy it. That just they didn't grow up with it. And they, you know, have no idea what's what's happened in uh, haunted houses and the whole, uh, whole genre. For sure. And I think that the... Um just like uh, there used to be a, a, a small market of, of uh, rubber masks and gloves and things you could get, and uh, there were the, like you mentioned before, where they would just put up the black plastic and static props and maybe a couple of actors. This is big business. The, the haunted attractions, as they call them, are big business yeah. now. There are people, that's, that's all they do. Oh, that's right. It's year-round. you got you know companies like Netherworld that multi-million dollar productions that is their job at 13th yeah. floor in denver they've yeah. got places all over the country uh, they are doing amazing things and, and and bringing in incredible amounts of money and people just love it it's it's completely different from uh what it was 20 years ago oh for sure now going into um uh fall as we are right now into spooky season as some people like to call it um does it feel any different to you when we're getting closer to Halloween? Do you still get that excitement stirring in you? Or, or is it kind of like, ah, I'm in Halloween every day? You know, it actually uh, gets a little dreadful because we know that customers are going to need their stuff and they're getting panicked and, and we're under a lot of pressure. Um, and no, I, Halloween is not what it used to be for me as a kid. And when I get excited, <laughs> I'm going to be a werewolf. <laughs> right. That's all gone. We are like Santa Claus the day after Christmas. And we don't even, we don't even hand out candy. We turn the lights out. We are so shy. We don't get dressed up. We we are such party poopers, and people are shocked by that. Well, I figured you'd have the best display in the neighborhood. Oh no, there's no displays. In fact, one year, Marsh and I, this was many years ago, <clears throat> we didn't even go as monsters. We went. I went as Santa Claus, and she went as the Easter Bunny to a bar that was doing a costume. And the funny thing is, we won. <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect. Well, that's I guess you you already had the the beard. You didn't. Have to, I, well, no, yeah. I have had a fake beard, but but uh, I, I did have a beard, but it was not gray at the time, oh, so okay. I had to have I had to have help. But this, uh, this was a few years ago. Yes, and it, and it seems like um, like you're not afraid of some competition because when uh, when I was working at the art supply store, you had the mask making kit. Yes, and you were encouraging people, and, and I remember you saying the real, the real value of the kit was the DVD showing how to do right, it, right, right, and the raw materials to make the thing happen. 
were in the kit, but more than anything, it was the information how to do it. Yes. And uh, and of course that that was probably one one more thing to try to produce, and and and, uh, and it wasn't around forever. But no. Um, but you welcome the, the the new blood into the industry. It seems. Oh yeah, I think you know we, nobody lives forever, and um, the next generation has to pick up the ball. And it, it, that product sadly kind of failed. And the reason it failed was I was insistent that I wanted everything that they needed in that box to make a monster. Sure. Because, you know, you get, so you get a DVD. Well, now you get it. Where do I get the plaster? And they, they get the wrong plaster, and then it doesn't work. So I, I, I can't find wet clay. I don't know. And so everything was in there. The problem is it was 11 pounds per box. Sure. So as a retailer, you, you order in a dozen boxes. It costs a fabulous fortune, and so uh, the product actually kind of failed because of my insistence that everything, the paint, the brushes, the sculpting tools, everything, plus the DVD had to be in that box. Sure, and it makes a lot of sense on one level, but as far as uh, making sense to the weight of shipping and all no, that kind of commercially stuff. commercially no. unviable. No. It was, so what, what is working is now we're doing these monster labs, and I... I'm very specific about what tools and where to get stuff and so forth and uh, how to do it. And and I can't tell you, I mean, incredible numbers of people when we're at shows will come up and say, you know, I'm thinking they're talking about making monsters and, and the TV show. And they're like saying, oh, your show has just changed my life. And so I, I'm, now I'm making monsters and people in Germany are writing us letters and stuff. Is this our flight? No. There's finally some people over there. There hasn't even been people there. This has been great, though. We burned through all that wait time. We actually accomplished something. For sure. Mm -hmm. Be ready to pounce. This is a completely full flight. Please take that first middle seat that you find. And then space uh, as you're going down. Uh, take that first seat. And when that was here, yeah. That's what's possible. Uh, as soon as I get the okay, uh, we'll start the board of processes. We'll start with the three more passengers. And then we'll move on to A1 through 30. Thanks so much. Questions in Southwest Airlines. Well, if Talking Tina's done. Talking Tina's not done. Her sister took over. So, Ed, tell us what is Monster Lab. Well, we started Monster Lab a few years ago, and the idea was to keep it simple. Because there's been a lot of videos that were very nice, but they're so complex that it blows people away and scares them off. So it's like, it's not that complicated. It's a lot of simple steps. So I kept it as simple as possible, so you didn't have to buy you know fiberglass heads to sculpt and all that stuff. And people have loved it, and I, I just... It's amazing the number of people that have gotten into the business. And we, I had a whole family come up and said the whole family is sculpting, you know, a monster after watching these these uh, videos on YouTube. And so, um, uh, and they just, you just plug in Distortions Monster Lab and we have tons of this stuff. The last one we did was a whole zombie. It showed you how to 
to sculpt the face so that it fit your face and, and put the hair on and make the costume and the whole bit. That's amazing. Well, it sounds like they're going to try and stuff us into a plane and oh, fly yeah, us to Denver. They, <laughs> we, are, we are getting interrupted uh, horribly because things are starting to happen. So, uh, cool. yeah, we got we to gotta wrap. But it was good. We, yeah, we, got, all, we got something accomplished yeah, here. we sure did. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, no, thank you, dude. Right. This was great. It said the stars aligned and we were able to get together. Great. And listeners, thank you for listening.